0: All right, reset that tape all right so super super excited for today's guest, Randy King, somebody I've known for over ten years now, and it's an uh, amazing thing to know somebody for so long and to recognize that, oh, we've come a long way from college students that ain't got no money looking for free flights into the cafeteria, from freshmen to uh grown folks who can actually afford our own meals if we want to eat, if we want to eat out um, and so. Today, I got to ask you the most basic question I ask everybody for the first question, which is, do you
1: like your job? Um, before I get into that, hold on. It has been over 10 years. I just did the math in my head. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been, we, end, we crossed over in 09, so. That's why I was, I started there and I went back from that to when I first met you, like, this is crazy. Yeah. But um, do I hate my job? Absolutely not. And I know there's a lot of people that can't really say that. So I'm definitely blessed to be able to answer that confidently. Yeah.
0: Next thing is, does your job challenge you? Since we got the fact that you don't dislike your job out of the way, challenge just simply means that it's bringing something out of you to actually go beyond this basic, easy stuff that other people may have to do in their day-to-day life.
1: Um, I'll put it this way. The role that I have challenges me, but not my specific day-to-day functions, if that makes sense. Because I feel like I've got a pretty good hang of it and it's very laid back and chill for the most part. But if I were to switch to another company, then there would definitely be some challenges, positive and negative. Okay. Okay. Well, since you said that and if anybody's
0: been watching, they've got caught on that I intentionally do not say what the actual job is in advance,
1: can you please share what your actual current position is, title? what it looks like. Yes, so um, with my company, my title is medical liaison, or um, globally known in the industry, it's known as a medical science liaison. And so um, what that role does pretty much is more or less exactly what the role entails. We are the liaisons between the pharmaceutical company and the healthcare providers or HCPs uh, in the field. So for example, if there's a doctor at, um, matter of fact, Cincinnati children's is one of my sites. If there's a doctor at Cincinnati children's who wants to get involved in a clinical study or something with my company, he reaches out to me or vice versa. If we want to get this doctor involved in a study, I reach out to him or her to gauge their interest. And so, um, the medical science part comes in because again, we talk about the science behind the products and how, they can, how that can be applied to treating patients in a clinical setting.
0: Okay, okay. And so to begin, you went to school and got your degree
1: and then you got another degree and then you got another degree. You got your doctorate in pharmacy, correct? Yeah, so um, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati with my bachelor's in biology in 2012. That was a long time ago. Then I graduated with um, my doctor of pharmacy from the same institution in uh, 2016. Then after that, I did my postdoctoral fellowship in New Jersey, which was a one-year fellowship. Then I started working in what I consider my big boy job in
0: 2017. And so there's a significant difference from what you do and what other people see as a pharmacy is that accurate absolutely
1: absolutely completely different worlds yeah Yeah.
0: so you're not working but you did work
1: uh, at Kroger at one point I worked (laughs) at yep I worked at Kroger pharmacy um when I was in uh, pharmacy school so uh, my title was pharmacy intern licensed by the state of Ohio as well as Kentucky and I also worked in um at Target pharmacy before they got bought by CVS with the same licenses, so I could cross over in between either states and work. Hmm. So you have to have specific licenses for each state in order to do your job? Yeah, well, not in this role, but as a traditional pharmacist, yes, you do. Hmm. Okay, okay. So I just
0: wanted to bring that up because I recognize that by making that transition from Kroger the way that everyone else sees a pharmacist to what you're doing now, did you know about this role when you were like, I'm going to become a pharmacist
1: in college? Absolutely. Or did not. you stumble <laughs> into this? Okay. Absolutely not. So it was actually, um, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in like everything happens for a reason. Right. And so um, the way I found out about this, this role that I have now was more or less because um, so and let me just back up and give you the full story. So in your third year of pharmacy school, Um, that's when you spend the majority of your time planning your rotations for the next year and rotations pretty much is a way of saying you're acting as a pharmacist in the field clinically. So instead of sitting in class doing traditional didactic learning, like taking notes, Mm -hmm. sitting there and listening to lecture, I'm actually at one of the hospitals in Cincinnati doing rounds with the attending physician. And that's how I spend my day. So with that being said. I was in the selection process to do my rotations. And I remember I was torn between a rotation at a compounding pharmacy in Houston, Texas, or, or a nationwide children's hospital in Columbus. So between the two things didn't work out in Houston because finances, I couldn't really afford rent for a month. I couldn't afford a hotel, obviously. So I went to Columbus, stayed with my parents there and I had this rotation, uh, since at, um, Nationwide Children's in Columbus, Ohio, my preceptor, Dr. Steve Plogstead, like maybe my second week there, he's like, hey, Randy, have you ever heard of PPS? And I'm like, no, never. Like, what? What do you know? He's like, you know, you should look into that. I think you'd be good in, um, in pharmaceutical industry. And then that's sort of what got the ball rolling. Just literally from that one conversation, he said, I applied for um, my fellowship a week after that and had an interview in New Orleans. They flew me out to New Jersey and I got the offer. Wow. That's crazy how life happens. Yeah. It happened kind of fast actually. Yeah, so um, actually I, he, he and I had that conversation. I'd say the first week of October, applications were due, I think, either two weeks after that, and I knew that I had gotten the job in December. See, that right there is why I feel that people
0: say a lot of things wrong. And I I stress this when I used to teach uh, students in um, soft skills class, which was people always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. First off, you do need to know something, which means you went and got your doctorate in pharmacy. So you need to know something. And yes, it was great that you actually knew him. But in this situation, it's one of those powerful moments about a powerful moment in which who knows you? like not just who you know but who knows you because had he not known you he might not have actually acknowledged you as a person who would have been a great um person to fill the
1: position that you have correct couldn't agree more absolutely yeah so um he he looked at i guess keep in mind he only knew me for two weeks so let's say business days 10 days 10 days yeah each rotation is only a month long so this is halfway through he says he says randy um check out this email I got. It's from PPS. You know what that is? No. So I'm reading over his shoulder on his personal laptop or his work laptop. And he's just showing me, um, yeah, PPS is, um, ASHP mid-year. I'm throwing out acronyms. I know it's just, it's just, um, industry, te- industry terms. Sorry. ASHP mid-year is just basically, um, the biggest pharmacy conference in America pre COVID, obviously like 30 to 40,000 pharmacists all over the nation congregate in this one place. And that's where the interviews for fellowships and residencies occur. I knew nothing Mm -hmm. about it. He recommended it to me and said, Hey, I think based off what I know about you, your personality, like the things that you're interested in, I think this would be a good fit for you. And so a lot of people may actually look at that in like a negative sense because they're saying, Hey, here's this clinically focused pharmacist telling you, you should go to the business side. Almost like, Oh, did I not, did I not make the cut? and clinically, but it's not Mm. even like that. It's it's more so like there are just, I hate to say it this way, for lack of a better term, there are certain stereotypical roles for pharmacists. And because in his mind, I guess I wasn't a stereotypical pharmacist. He thought that I should broaden my horizons to other opportunities. And so I look at it in a positive sense where there are actually people at the University of Cincinnati, which is a very clinically focused school They actually thought that my decision to go into industry was a mistake. In fact, I actually had teachers stop me in the hallway and say, Randy, I heard you got a fellowship. The first person at the University of Cincinnati College of Pharmacy to get a fellowship in probably like four years. They said, we think you're making a mistake. You should be in the hospital or retail. But you forge your own path. Wait.
0: What about you? Well, first off, let me say this. Cause I am curious to know that, but I'm not going to act like I don't know. It's like to know that you've been in Miami, you've been in Vegas, you've been in, uh, Carolinas. obviously you're located where you're located doing your job. Currently sounds like you travel all over to do your current job and knowing you and knowing that even in college, you were taking some trips to Vegas with friends and actually enjoying uh, yourself. I could absolutely see you as a person who should be out on a road, making those, Uh, trips and being able to engage people because you have such a great personality and and you're personable and you seem like a person, I don't know how much sales are involved that I would assume is capable of selling somebody and taking someone out to have a good time in the process of building rapport. I don't know how how much of this is connected to your job, but I am curious to know now from you, how much of that is connected to your job and how much do you think that may have been the reason uh, in why they said you should go into this direction?
1: All right. So, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to start that. And I'm laughing because of something one of my preceptors told me during um, one of my rotations. And this is sort of what made me start thinking. Maybe I'm like, I said, maybe I don't fit in that stereotypical box of what a true pharmacist is. I don't wanna you want say to say what pharmacist. that is. You want to just say what
0: that is? Because you keep saying the stereotypical box. So let's just and then all right let's just just go
1: ahead let's just go ahead yeah i'm talking to you that's right let's just go ahead and all right this stereotypical box of a pharmacist is someone who's very just a bookworm someone who's a who's a big bookworm and someone who's not necessarily the most personable stereotypically that's like what it is Mm -hmm. and so the fact that i always heard feedback from my preceptors like randy every single person in the hallway this is at hospitals like i was at ucmc I was at um, some hospital in Northern Kentucky, St. Elizabeth's. And so my preceptors always said, Randy, you've only been here for a week and a half. How come every time I'm walking with you in the hallway, everybody knows your name, everybody's saying hi to you. I don't even know these people. And I'm like, I don't know, I just said hi and asked them about their day. Like, I don't know, like that's just what I, I didn't think it was weird, I'm the new guy here. I should introduce myself. That's not normal. You just stay in your lane, mind your business, do your job, go home. Whereas me, I'm like, okay, well, if I'm gonna be here, I wanna integrate myself into the system. I wanna understand the culture. I wanna integrate myself into the society. To the point where I remember I specifically, I finished one of my rotations at um, UCMC at the um, am- Ambulatory Care Clinic. Our rotation was over, but a week later, I saw one of my previous patients just down the street um, by the casino. And he literally stopped and gave me a hug, like, Randy, I really miss you. And I'm like, man, you, you remember me? Like I was only there for a month. You know what I mean? That's that's literally what twenty days, if you count just weekdays. And he and I made an impression on him that, that importantly. And so, I was laughing before because one of my very first rotation it was at the HIV um, Hep C clinic, uh, right in the Hawksworth building, I believe. And my preceptor's feedback was: she was like, "Randy, you are a good BSer. but she said it. obviously the real word, right? And so. I paused for a second and I was like, here I am trying to be professional and everything. And you just called me out like, I'm offended. And she could see it on my face that I was kind of taken aback. And she was like, no, Randy, I I promise you that's a good thing. You're going places. And that's exactly what she said.
0: But here's the thing. So (laughs) I shrugged because it's like, I hear, I've heard that before. I mean, that's that's the thing where you're in college and you got to write five pages, but you really only got two. And somehow you just BS, at least synthesis you, throughout it. As you would you you increase it. the
1: size of the periods and the spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You push the margin in or something. I don't exactly. know exactly about any of mm-hmm. this type of stuff, <laughs> but, uh,
0: <laughs> uh, add extra space, but no, the thing is, is people say it's, it's BSing. It's not, it's just that, um, people see this BS because they don't take the time or the energy to actually engage people, like they're so afraid of okay. how they may come off, or what's gonna happen when I speak to this person. What's gonna happen to you is the exact same thing that happens every other time. They're gonna talk, or they're not gonna talk.
1: Either way,
0: exactly. You come off as the person that was actually welcome. And what I want to say to you, and it's crazy because the interviews I've done thus far, the patterns I keep seeing is the significance of EQ, emotional intelligence, the importance of being able to have social skills. And the cool thing is you have a job in which you don't have to have those, but your position came about because you actually utilized those things. And that guy who walked up to you or whoever that person was that walked up to you, um, they, sh- they were an example of, it's not always what you did to that person or what you did with that person that they remember. People remember how you make them feel. And 100%. that isn't BS regardless of what anyone says. How you made that person feel in that short amount of time left an imprint on him that he's probably going to expect other people to do this, and has only been let down every single time. Which <laughs> why you got that I same know. reaction. I,
1: I don't. I don't know if I'd. I'd say that. I feel like we all. We all have our own different lanes when it comes to social interaction. You know, mm-hmm. each, each person you come across will provide you with something different. You know, so maybe. Maybe I provided the aspect where he was able to escape the fact that he was at work for 10 minutes when we talked, you know? And the other person is able to make him be more passionate about his job and that 10 minutes they interact. Everybody brings something different to um, in every interaction they have. And I thought about um, going back to the, the preceptor who said I was a good BSer. I first, keep in mind, I was 25 when she told me that. I was younger and I immediately took it for face value. But now that I'm older and I look back, I'm, I'm thinking of it as more like, She just didn't have the right words to articulate what she was trying to say, but I get it now what she was getting at, Mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, they're like, so that's where I was getting at with the whole stereotypical pharmacist thing who were like bookworms got the perfect grades on every exam. And if they got a B minus, they're crying at home. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. I did all, I did the work I had to do. I passed all the exams I had to pass, every board exam, every state exam licensure I had to take. And then I just chose the path I wanted to take. It's not like you was able to take a B like a champ. <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, t- t- <laughs> not, to be honest with you, if I, if I got a B in therapeutics, I was like, yo, we are kicking it tonight. <laughs> like, this is dope. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and what's important for people to recognize is
0: that's most likely because of how hard that class actually was. And knowing that you were able to succeed in at least getting above average in the process of passing that
1: class, correct? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, anything less than a C is failing. So if you get a 70 percent, a 70 percent is pretty much like a like a D minus more or less in pharmacy school. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to everybody says this, if you're ever going to fail a class in pharmacy school and when you fail a class, you get held back a year. If you're ever going to fail a class, it will be therapeutics guaranteed. Wow. And, and what shows so, um, up in therapeutics. It's so difficult. Is it, is it the, the, the reading is dense or like, what is it? Man, I'm not, I'm not even gonna hold you. <laughs> like, so I, st- not even lying. Like literally I still sometimes like wake up in the middle of the night thinking I have an exam that I didn't study for. It still hits me. Like therapeutics, therapeutics was a beast, <laughs> but then after a while, after a while, you sort of get numb to it and you just understand, okay, this is what it is. And it got to a point where I started calculating. Here's what grade I need. Here's how much I have to study. Here's what I'm about to do. I'm an, I, if, I only need, if I only need an 85%, I'm going to make sure I'm gonna only study 85% worth. I'm not going to stress myself out. I'm going to do what I need to do and make it happen. And that, it worked out.
0: Hey, I mean, I'm going to stress y'all need to work as hard as you possibly can. But the point of what he's actually saying is, as I said before, when you get that diploma, nobody's asking how you. I think E.T., Eric Thomas said this best. He was like, no one cares what you've got in stats class. They want to know when we hire you, can you do what we're hiring you to do? And if you can, come on. If you can't, you'll be weeded out. And let me,
1: yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, let me go ahead. let me go ahead and clarify this. I don't want people thinking that I was some slacker. I graduated pharmacy school with a three five. So let's go ahead and say that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm glad
0: you said that. Yeah, graduated pharmacy, pharmacy no school joke. with
1: a three five. Yeah, and that's um, essentially like, I said, like saying you graduated med school, correct? It's the equivalent, more uh, equivalent in the sense of um, your title, but mm-hmm. med school has a lot more board exams throughout the process. So they have what these what they have what's known as step exams that you take after your first year, I think after your second and third year, we just take, um, I think we took one board exam to certify that we were able to go on to rotations. And then we took another one to officially say we are a pharmacist. Then you take another one to say, okay, I'm now a pharmacist and I can practice in this state. Okay. And each state has different rules and regulations. So you have to, if I wanted to become a pharmacist in Illinois tomorrow, I'd have to buy their book. Read through that and make sure I knew their laws for the exam.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no desire in doing that. It was like shout out to you and
1: uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, I, hear, I
0: hear you. Yeah. So I, 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 I y- y- y'all can have that. I enjoy what I do. I'm happy with what I do, and uh, I stumble in what I do in a lucky way, my dang self. Uh, but. <laughs> I guess what would you say is a uh, running back to some of the stuff that you've already kind of hinted at. What are some of the myths about your job as a pharmacist? I'm going to be vague intentionally. Like if somebody hears you're a pharmacist, what are some of those myths about pharmacists? You said that myths? we
1: can, de- yeah, that we can debunk if you have any. A myth. Um, so I mean, automatically my mind is going back to like, what are the assumptions people have? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. When I tell people I'm a pharmacist, the first thing they say, oh, do you work at CVS? You work at Walgreens? That's, that's going to be the first question every time. Those two. Yeah. They, they, CVS and Walgreens? Those are the main, those are the number two, one and two that will always come up. And then depending what region you're in, they may ask a local pharmacy like Kroger, Publix, Ralph's, depending where you are. But it's always going to be CVS and Walgreens that but, always but- come up.
0: But let's be clear. Like, for anybody listening, it may have smirked or even laughed at him saying that. Let's be very clear. What is around, what's the, the salary range for a person working at CVS or ra- or not rallies? CVS or what? <laughs> <laughs> <Huh?
1: laughs> <laughs> man, if rallies had pharmacists, sign me up, man. You mean free food hey, me too? I'm bro. I'm coming. bro. prescribing some of the fries. Bro, yeah. But no, what's like the, the salary range for that? Uh, I believe. And keep in mind, I haven't looked at their salaries since I was in pharmacy school, but they, I think that um, Kroger starts you off right around 120 and uh, CVS com- competes with them. That's in the Cincinnati area because Cincinnati um, is really he- heavily focused on Kroger. Mm-hmm. So, and, and CVS or Walgreens, you know, that a lot of their, a lot of those local students are going to run to Kroger. So CVS Walgreens compete with those salaries as well. But yeah, wow. it's right around one hundred and twenty, a little higher and lower, depending on some buffers and standard deviations. Yeah, at one hundred and twenty, you're 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 not just
0: you're pretty much upper middle class. Um, for the average person living a regular American life, I think they say the average salary is around fifty thousand. That person yeah. is uh, living upper class life, living a pretty significant. Like they, the best car out there in the parking lot might be there So and don't, you you don't got people doing that at the age
1: of twenty four. People graduate pharmacy school at 24 years old and bam, hit that. Wow.
0: That's, that's a nice little box to be stuck in with that type of salary going home. Man, the amount of food I would eat a red lobster. I'm just... Actually, you know... <laughs> that, that's yeah, how you can think. Like, like, that, like, hold on, hold on, I got to say this. So, truth be, Like <laughs> seriously, every time I got a raise, I would think, all right, so what meal can I get now? And I was like, I'm just trying to get to the point. Where I can get an ultimate feast from 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 Red Lobster, and not even think about it, and be on a date with my lady, and not be sad if she gets something around that same price range, and I was like, "Oh,
1: okay." (laughs) Well, so you know, we actually we all we all have our own little tiers of how we define, I guess, the success financially more or less. So I'd say. Mine, mine was a little different. I'll be honest. Mine, when I um, when I got my fellowship, and then that was a um, that was a five figure salary. And then when I got my, what I consider my big boy job, the first thing I thought was, I can afford an apartment now with a view of a city skyline. That, Ooh, that, that, that was, was my a thing. statement. That was that a was bar right there. Th- that oh, was it for that's, me. The a dream out loud right there. I ain't nobody mad at that. <laughs> Did, did you yeah. actually get it though? Yeah, I lived. Um, actually, I lived in one of the buildings where um, one of the, uh, I forgot his name, Landry Shamet. When he was a rookie, he lived in the same building as me. He played for the Seventy Sixers. Oh, okay. Yeah, he so was living that good life up in Philly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the apartment had a grocery store in the basement. Um, and a pool. Yeah, it, it was fire. So that was I missed that place still. But yeah, Landry. That was when I was, um, what was I, 27. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, okay, I right, I made it. People people pulled in with like Teslas, Benzes. Well, Benzes, Benzes were actually the, Benzes were the Toyotas there, really. It was like Porsches, Teslas. Um, I saw a few Lambos, and I'm just like, man, I'm living with y'all. That's a humble stunt right there. Yeah, the Benzes, they, those are like Cadillacs or... Like there there, they were like because to me i'm like why are there so many benzes and i'm like oh i see who lives you know yeah <laughs> and i'm in yeah. my honda civic you know what i'm saying <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, shut up you weren't
0: driving no honda civic. <laughs> yes I was. I
1: was i was driving my i was driving my uh 2013 honda civic cletus was his name all right all right cletus i ain't mad at it cletus is probably allowing you to continue to keep a whole lot of your money though if I'm getting No, it. because uh, car insurance in Philadelphia is ridiculous. So I was losing a lot of money there. I would have saved money by getting rid of the car and not paying car insurance. Are you serious? Yeah, car insurance in Philly is ridiculous. That's a whole other topic.
0: I mean, it's not really. We're talking money. We're talking about jobs like this. And people need to know that, and this is an actual conversation, your salary, it goes a longer way depending on what city you're in. So, these numbers were saying. So, yeah. So, so, if you lived in Cincinnati and you were making $60,000, you could live very comfortably. We're talking no debt in this conversation. You could live very comfortably. We're not talking about a family, just you, Dolo. You, you could I live you. very comfortably <laughs> with $60,000 here in Cincinnati and shift that
1: money to a Chicago location or or a New York location. Let me talk- New York. Don't even talk about New York, man. New York's disgusting. Don't even do it. Exactly. New York. And, New and York's a different beast.
0: And that's what people need to understand is like as we start talking about salaries and jobs and things like that, where you actually get that job is very important. And where you visit, if you if you visiting from Chicago with your Chicago money for the weekend, you might be able to make out. <laughs> yeah. For, for that for that weekend in Cincinnati. Um yeah. a
1: matter of fact, my cousin my cousin lives in Chicago. He's a stockbroker in Chicago, and he. He used to complain, like, man, Chicago's too expensive. It's overpriced. He came to visit me one weekend in Cincinnati. One, he was very disappointed at how slow the city was, but he was very excited about, like, man, I haven't spent any money since I've been here, really. I'm like, you've been buying all the drinks. What you mean you ain't spent no money? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, man, it's... Yeah, that's how it is.
0: Oh, I understand that. I I remember going out with somebody, and uh, it was one of those people, he worked... I want to say he, I think he worked for PNG and he was he was doing some significant stuff. He had a, a significant name brand that people would know. I don't want to expose him by saying what it is, but uh I remember being out with him and he would just kept going to it was like eight people with his hey y'all want drinks? Y'all want drinks? I was like, What just one one round is like a hundred dollars? What are we doing here? You are your third gang, go, go. Like, how is this man living like this? And and he's living downtown, he had no debt. He's sitting here working a job that's paying him over $150,000. And I'm like, man, this, this, is, this is really interesting. Th- that's those moments when you realize, all right, you need to step your life up a little bit. Step your life up. And, and I like being around people <laughs> like that. <laughs> 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 um, but let's get, let's, let's get back to uh, some of the uh, other things. So education-wise, you, you ran through those degrees. But how, what's the average time period that a person has to be in college,
1: university, Um, to get this degree starting the bachelor years when I was in school they've changed it since I was in school when I was in school in the state of Ohio again keep in mind every state every institution is different I can only speak to Ohio because that's my experience you could do two years of undergrad and four years of pharmacy school that's called two plus four six year program and you can be out nowadays though Matter of fact, the year that I graduated, they increased it to three plus four minimum. And I think mm-hmm. Ohio State had always been, have to have a bachelor's first, then go to pharmacy school. So four plus four. I did four plus four because I was actually pre-medicine. I was pre-med before I switched over to pharmacy. And obviously, you can't go to med school with only a few years of school. You got to have a degree first. Mm-hmm. So to believe, believe it or not, my first year of pharmacy school... I was actually one of the older people in my class at the age of 26. I'm sorry, uh, I started at 22. There were people in my class who who weren't even able to drink yet. And they were in my pharmacy class. Prescribing medications. Well, you can't prescribe but all They're not rims. prescribing, but they're, they're most likely handling those things or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you, you're, when you're on rotations, look, when you're on rotations, you have doctors who are in their 40s and 50s looking to you like... Okay, pharmacy student, what drug are we giving this patient who may potentially die in a week? And you, you got to handle it. They trust your judgment. You say, okay, give them, um, I don't know, uh, uh, let me think of something, cephalosporin, IV, I don't know, BID twice daily, um, and a bolus dose. And they'll be like, all right, write it down, put it in the EPIC system, next patient. Don't even ask any questions. You just keep it moving. Now,
0: for clarity for everyone listening at home, what he's not saying and I'm looking for him to correct at this moment is if that person said the absolute wrong answer that doctor is going to step in and say, yeah, no, this is what you should say.
1: Well, uh, okay. uh, Okay. Yes. I, let me, let me clarify. Correct. Correct. That not the doctor, but it more so be your precepting pharmacist.
0: Yeah. I was referring to you
1: as a doctor when I said that. So yeah, yeah. But you have, okay. Well, Okay, physician, physician, and pharmacist. Let's just break it out that way. You're on rounds with the physician, and some of the times you're precepting pharmacist. Most of the time, your precepting pharmacist will be with you, but sometimes they may not. But that's only when they've trusted you to be able to handle it at that point. And keep in mind, like, in a certain depending on the um, institutional setting you're in. So if you're on the um, the cancer floor or if you're on the infectious disease ward, for the most part, you start to understand, okay, we're gonna, a lot of these things start to repeat. So that's how you're able to, with such confidence, be able to say something, or you recognize, okay, we would have gone with this medication, but this specific patient here has a drug interaction with one of their other medications, let's switch it to this. That's when the doctor's like, okay, you've been right all these other times, we'll put it in the system, we'll see if it gets any rejection because the system does rejections also if it's not adequate. And typically you get the green light, keep it moving. But yeah, the, the point I was making was the fact that the, the physicians trust the pharmacy team so much because they understand that we spend four years learning drugs in and out from how to make them, what, what makes a powder how do you make a pill look the way it does all the way to everything it does at a cellular level in the body. Yeah, we know that stuff.
0: But are you all actually doing those type of things? Because I would think that that's like a manufacturer's job.
1: I've had compounding rotations. In fact, one of my favorite rotation was a compound compounding pharmacy where I actually physically made the drugs myself. Wow. Because I, I'm, cool. someone, I'm someone who likes to be handy. Like I like working with, with tools and screwdrivers and things. That was the equivalent of that on a scientific level. So I'm measuring out doses compacting them in a um, pill compactor and putting them in a vial, putting a label on it and giving it to a patient. Yeah. Are you able to disclose
0: what type of medication it was and the significance of that medication? Yeah. yeah
1: I can disclose anything like that as long as no patient attached to it. The only thing is I don't remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You um, just remember it was probably a little white pill or whatever you put it in. Latin yeah. Capsules. So, um, a lot, a lot of the things that I've compounded were, um, capsules, What's the difficulty, um,
0: level when it comes to acquiring your job? Like how difficult is it for somebody to acquire
1: your type of position,
0: your position, and we're going to also go both your position and just a regular
1: pharmacy position, regular pharmacy position. As long as you graduate pharmacy school, pass your boards, not that difficult. As long as the market's doing well, like the job market, I mean, so, um, yeah, typically the retail pharmacists are, are like waiting for, you to, waiting for you to graduate because they're waiting for people to come in. My specific job, very tough, very, very, very tough to get in. First of all, getting into industry alone is very, very tough. It's one of those things where it's like, God, I, I, yeah, I'm thinking about it now how tough it was. All right, you have to have experience to get the experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that, I hope people caught what he just said, because for everyone that's in, currently in college or, or going to go to college, you're going to go to college, and then you're going to graduate, and you're going to try to get a job, and then they're going to ask you for experience. And you're like, I got to get experience to get
1: experience? Like, I, 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 that's what I came here to you for. <laughs> I came to you for the experience. Oh, sorry, we're looking for someone with three years experience minimum. I'm like, I'm still wearing my cap and gown. What do you mean? How could I possibly have that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I'm going to give you direction,
0: like, maybe you should go work at this place. It's just like, leave until you come back with experience. Well, I won't have the experience unless... Alright, I got it. I'm going to
1: go figure it out. Y- yeah, actually uh, there, there's very little guidance unless... Let me back If you're trying to get an industry fellowship, that's pretty much how it should start. If you want to get a fellowship in industry or what people call big pharma, you know, you have to you have to, honestly, you have to have a mentor to make it easy. You have to have somebody who works there, who's been through the process, who can help you out. Lucky for me, I guess everything happens for a reason. I look at it now. I still don't really know how I got my fellowship, especially all the circumstances that went into me even getting to New Orleans for the interview in the first place. It was a mess. But for me to get the fellowship was a blessing. And now I recognize that because I came in knowing absolutely nothing about it. I going to school in the Midwest they don't necessarily they necessarily don't prepare you for jobs in pharmaceutical industry compared to going to a school in New Jersey, New York or Philadelphia and that's because this is where all the pharmaceutical companies are concentrated along I95 from New York City down to Philadelphia there's easily over 30 drug companies why that's just where they I think maybe tax purposes they just put them all in Jersey pretty much Okay, I didn't know if like the actual material they're using or something like that is located there. No, nah, that's all. That's all international imports, anyway. Yeah, I, I believe it may be because of tax purposes, but I don't know the details.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So your your job. I mean, I feel like we all just heard you
0: say that your job is quite difficult to get into. But the irony is, is it was pretty easy. Well, it's pretty easy because you did years of work to get to where you are now, but. In the process, it was just like, yeah, I was I was with somebody. I had good personality. He got, to, got exposure to my knowledge base. And because he got exposed to what I knew and what
1: I was capable of, he was just like, all right, here's a job. No, 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 he no. Didn't, he didn't give me a job. He told me here's I know a he job. job. I you, can... you explain that. Yeah, what he did was he said, hey, here's a career path you should look into. And so that started grinding the, uh, the gears in the mind where I'm thinking, okay, let me do a little bit of research oh, this is what he's talking about. Okay, how do I apply for this? And then that's how that ball got rolling. So I had to um, do the application process, get down to New Orleans for the ASHP meeting to interview in person, do well on in that in-person interview, have a secondary interview there, and also go to a reception so they can see how you interact with everybody. So they say that's not an interview, but it is an interview. You have to go there, be professional, be professional, make friends with everybody, be polite, you know? And then they fly you out to New Jersey for your on-site interview. Hmm. Like the real on-site interview at their headquarters. If you do well there, then you're good to go. What's the reasoning? Maybe
0: it's just how they've always done it, but it's just interesting that you, you, you brought up the fact that the interviews are taking place at a conference. Like, What's the significance of that? So what do you mean? The New Orleans conference that you said, the big conference that oh, that's
1: that's where. Um, so PPS stands for what is? It? I think it's Personnel Placement Services, and that's where you go to actually do the first round of interviewing, and they do that because there's going to be I think PPS has maybe like I'm just gonna throw out a number maybe like fifty pharmaceutical companies there, and like. 300 hospitals interviewing for residencies, everybody's all in one central location, so you could knock out all your first round interviews in one spot versus flying all over the nation just to not get the job. Yeah, so, well, I mean,
0: that seems convenient. It definitely absolutely seems convenient and uh, a great opportunity to build network uh, in, in a situation like that, but there's also the part where I'm hearing if you have all these people there That means you have a whole lot more competition than you would if you were just trying to apply for that job in your hometown. Sounds like you potentially have hundreds of people applying for one position that you're trying to apply, which makes it highly competitive. Man, listen, let me
1: tell
0: you. So so, so let's say how many people were there? In theory, how many people are
1: interviewing for jobs if you you can ballpark it and how many actual jobs are available ballpark it? I'm going to give you an exact thing that I saw with my own two eyes so you can understand this. Um one of the big, biggest most popular known um pharmaceutical industry programs is through rutgers university based in central new jersey so they contract with a multitude of drug companies where if you become if you become a rutgers fellow you can work for any of these companies during your fellowship which is more or less like an internship or an apprenticeship basically when i got to new orleans I saw a line of people what looked like Black Friday sales. And I was wondering, well, what's this line of people for? Randy, you don't know? That's the Rutgers interview line. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, yeah, they're all interviewing to be... People had pillows and blankets. They had been out there since four in the morning waiting in line. How... Just guess, how many, how many people? Um... Black Friday sale, the PS Five is about to drop. Imagine that many people, that voting lines in Atlanta, Georgia. Jesus. So people didn't even get to get a chance to interview at that point. No. Nah, so a lot of people, no, nah, a lot of people didn't even make it. They just waited there, got their hopes crushed, and went to another company or did another route. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I love how you said it so
1: flippantly. Yeah, you got their, their souls crushed, in it. The- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean it so cavalierly. I'm just just being real. That's what happens. I mean, but at the end of the day, there's there's.
0: It sounds like there's hundreds of jobs in that one location as well. So, just like the, the, it's going to be a tough situation where some people are competing, each person's only going to be able to take one of those shots. Which means that there's going to always be another job out there for you to get at that location. So. Regardless of how intimidating it is, if you're able to maneuver, know your stuff, chances are you're going to come
1: out with a job, it sounds like. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah absolutely. Now, don't, don't let me scare anybody who's listening. I will say this. We were all pharmacy students down there interviewing, which means we were only a few months away from graduating pharmacy school. I guarantee every single person at that conference who was going for an interview, they're working a job, living a pretty decent life right now. No one got left high and dry unless, for whatever reason, they just didn't pass their boards.
0: And, and that's a word right there. All right, so we went through those two things. So I think they, they, they should have the answer to how difficult it is, um, or at least the schooling aspect. So let's run to what's the traditional path, and, and what was your actual path? Spell it out. I know you said it a couple times already. But if a person, not a person, if you, Randy, were going back in time to expedite this process, because like you already said, you didn't know about your current role that you have now. What would you do differently than you've done before that would potentially expedite this process in order for you to be in a position maybe a year or two or however soon? Um,
1: so what I would have done had I known I'd be here anyway? I would, have after, I would have made sure I took all of my prerequisite courses in my first and second year of undergrad. Because, again, I, I thought, well, I'm going to be here for four years anyway. Let me stretch this out and just take whatever I need to for four years, not realizing that I could have done this like, like the other people in my class at the age of 20 and started pharmacy school. Hmm. So map it out getting all the way to the actual job, though. Okay. So, okay. So, um, again, like Ohio's laws have changed now. I think, I think now you need either three or four years of undergrad to even get to pharmacy school. Let's just say it's three, three years of undergrad, your core chemistries, biologies, physics, um, microbiology, all those courses, four years of pharmacy school, take your boards, pass your boards, take your state exam, pass your state exam, or multiple, depending what states you want to work in. And then, you just go to retail, you go to CVS, Walgreens, Kroger, Publix, uh, Wegmans, any of those. That's a traditional route. That's pretty like standard, like, you know, white coat at the grocery store.
0: And I wanna stay there before we go to yours specifically, because I just wanna highlight that this is like, you're one of the few people that can say, when they told me to go to school and learn and get a job and I was gonna actually get paid I actually did Um, not necessarily just you, but I'm saying the pharmacy industry in itself is like, I mean, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to make sure you're actually learning these things and and studying your butt off and, and passing these tough classes. But in a world where people are graduating college and having to work in fast food industries or whatever, not even in positions that don't require an education, you all are not only getting jobs in many cases, uh, you're getting jobs that are beyond what the average American is actually living on. And in theory, a person looking in on your life, especially first out of, of, of school and living in Philly, they're like, is this guy rich. He's driving a Honda Civic, but uh, I see where he lives. And and those rich people, I think it was a uh, Bezos when he was worth 10 billion, which was, was driving the, the Acura, it's like that, that, I don't really care about the car. They, <laughs> Like, like people, we, we know the trick at this point. Y'all are trying to downplay your finances while you live with all the money opposed to giving away all the money. So it, I think that's, that's a really important thing to recognize that regardless of how hard school sounds, it sounds like it's something that's going
1: to pay off in the pharmacy it's, arena. I wouldn't even say that it's downplaying the finances. It's just recognizing that buying a car is a liability compared to an asset. So uh, what's the, who am I trying to show off for? I'd still be driving my civic if my company didn't give me a car just for the audience. I mean, obviously I know this,
0: but there's somebody that's probably watching this for the first time and hearing that a brand new Lambo that costs $500,000 isn't an asset. Can can you break that down? I mean, it's super obvious. Just driving it off the lot part of the conversation, which they probably haven't heard before, but go ahead. if If you don't mind.
1: Yeah. So, um, Lambos are nice and everything, you know, like everybody everybody likes to have their toys. I get that. But you have a, you have a Lamborghini or like yeah, let's just say something more a, a little more attainable, a Benz. Once you buy that Benz, as soon as you sign the paperwork and as soon as you turn the key, it's going down in value. about 20%, right? I don't know the exact figures cuz I never bought a Benz. Well, it's tens like, of thousands of dollars. You're, you're losing tens yeah, of thousands of dollars down. as soon as you drive off the
0: lot. You can't yep. sell that. The next day, you couldn't sell that Benz for the exact same price.
1: No, you could not. Um, and that's why I feel like I, I've i tried to more so focus on like investments, things like that. I tried the whole real estate thing a few times, but unfortunately, it didn't work out yet. But yeah, things like that. But you also, and this is something that people who
0: have... Um, allow themselves to get greater exposure. There's another level of capital in there, which is experience um, and, and cultural capital. And you, you've traveled
1: to what countries? Um, since when? Like period. See that sentence like that. Just just say some. <laughs> just just say
0: what. So you've been to Japan. You've been. You've been. So I'm pretty sure you've been to the continent, right?
1: I've been to Nigeria. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nigeria, Japan. uh... Amsterdam, Paris, Mexico, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Canada. I mean, that's like right there. Uh, Turkey. Um, actually, was on my way to Thailand until COVID ruined that. So I would I would have been in Thailand this month had COVID not messed that up. Did you pay for the flight already? And everything? No, but we had um, no, I hadn't paid for the flight, but we were like like we had plans to book we had a whole agenda and itinerary planned out we were like, alright, look, we're about to hit these places let's just get the flights. Bam, COVID no travel outside the U.S. Like literally that week, we were like, well let's try to wait and see what's going to happen so Okay,
0: well that that's important because people think about the cars and the houses even me talking about food and you talk about clothes, but it's like some people don't leave beyond their city. <laughs> Some people don't go outside their state and to have the capital to go out of the country and come back and not wonder, can I afford my bills because I travel and enjoy myself? That's the thing
1: itself. Traveling does not take as much capital as people think it does. Traveling, you can make traveling work if you really want to make it work. I, I have friends who were in school, literally in medical school, where they're not making a dime. Matter of fact, Mark, you remember Mark, he came to Nigeria with me as a med student. Mm. Traveling, it's not as expensive as people think. You just have to do your research and figure out how you want to do it.
0: Nice, nice. So getting back to the original um, conversation, we, we mentioned the traditional pharmacist route, your route. Blueprint yeah, so, for somebody to
1: duplicate you i i would actually recommend if you want to do what i do don't do it the way i did it <laughs> honestly um that's my path my path was a bunch of what i'd say just god blessing me and a bunch of god blessing me quite frankly because i was i literally was in my interview in new orleans And I remember specifically saying this in the interview when I answered one of the questions, like, less than satisfactory. I remember just saying, look, I went to school in the Midwest. I know I don't have as much exposure as some of these people coming from New Jersey, considering your headquarters is not even three miles from where they went to school. But you give me a shot in this role, you won't regret it. I remember saying that. And give me a shot in this role. It'll, it'll, it'll be worth your while. You won't regret it. I'm here for the experience. You're here to give me that experience. Let, let's make this work together. And there it was. I would definitely recommend. Like I said, if someone wants to do this, find somebody who's already done it and have them navigate the process for you. I'd be more than happy to do that for anybody. i do it now for people. Um, just because I had nobody to sort of guide me through what I was getting myself into. Had I known better, I would have been in that line with all the students waiting in the Rutgers line myself. I just didn't even know that existed. People laughed at me like, Randy, you didn't wait in the Rutgers line? I'm like, what Rutgers line? That thing right there? Like, no, I'm not waiting in that. But that was the thing to do because that was almost, that was like the like a rite of passage. Like, if you do this, there's a high likelihood you'll get a fellowship. If you Mm -hmm. don't, best of luck. It just worked out for me. So the Rutgers...
0: Line is something that you probably should have you should have arrived early and had your pillow on hand. So, for because I I want like you uh, people can contact you to to get this help help navigating their path. But I'm wanting to try to do that right now as well. So, you're saying one of the first things you're going to do is try to get there as soon as possible to get in
1: that that Rutgers line. Well, well, so that doesn't exist anymore because they've revamped the program and they realize that that was more or less like inhumane. More like, but yeah, there was a point in time where they used to tout like, "Yeah, we got look how long our line is, guys. We we doing it." You know, now they they're like, "No, nah, we're gonna switch this up because this is this is savagery." You got people waiting in line at three, four in the morning outside a conference hall just to try to get an interview. Like what? <laughs> they, they out there? I'm so cold. I'm so so cold. Well, this is New Orleans, so it was actually very warm, but still, yeah.
0: Oh, that's even grosser because it's probably yeah. humid and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So let's, let's actually do the navigation to get to your position. So, you said you so, would do it
1: differently. So what I did, four years of undergrad, four years of pharmacy school, one year of fellowship, got, got uh, my official job where I was working in medical information right outside of Philadelphia. Um, what I would recommend somebody do is don't spend as much time in undergrad if you don't have to. If you want to, by all means, it's your prerogative. You can spend 10 years in undergrad if you want. But I'd recommend doing the the minimum necessary, doing the pharmacy school aspect, which is obviously mandatory, making sure that you um, build a network in pharmacy school. That was one thing that I was really good at doing, building a network. So every time we had a big exam, I was never studying by myself. I'm in I'm in the, um, the mess lounge at the pharmacy school or the little mini cafeteria upstairs studying pulling all nighters with four and five, six people every single exam. That's what's key because they throw so much material at you. No matter how many notes you take, you're always going to miss something. But I bet your boy Sean next to you, he may have that note that you missed. You know what I'm saying? So building a network is key. I remember the people who used to go through pharmacy school by themselves and were like kind of like the loners, the ones who d- didn't really have that many friends, didn't really talk to that many people. They were the ones who typically struggled the most trying to do everything on their own. That is what I'd say is the big key. Study groups, building a network, showing the teachers you actually care about the material, sitting in those study hall, not study halls, um, office hours and just r- cranking through that work. I can definitely say that um, that was probably the most challenging mentally four years of my life was pharmacy school. Like I said, to this point, matter of fact, I even talked about this um, two months ago. I woke up in the middle of the night, like two months ago when I was still living in Charlotte, I woke up heart racing and I'm like, did I study for that exam? And I'm like, man, what exam? Like... What are, what am I talking about? That, that that's real. Like that that PTSD sometimes sticks. I asked one of my classmates. She's like, "Oh yeah, I have those dreams still too." <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it's real. But once you're out of it, I I can't think of anything I would have done that could have been this rewarding. Mm-hmm. Unless I hit the lottery or something. <laughs> I don't think that would be rewarding. I think that would yeah. It's more like rewarding. I just I would just, yeah. It's a reward, but I didn't put any
0: effort in. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you well I. I think that's where that conversation. I would assume that you wouldn't be one of the statistics that would go straight broke if you hit the lottery,
1: um, because I think you would understand how to handle the money. But nah, you, no, you no one would even know I won that thing. now. not <laughs> that money would can. be that money would be all over the place, scattered in some investments and in capital venture fund. Man, yeah, you wouldn't even know. Listen, I've already broke it
0: down. I think they should take. Don't you have like ninety days to report to get with the actual winning ticket or something like that? I believe so. Yeah and yet I think they say it takes 21 days to change your name. If they don't put my name in the paper, I'm going as soon as I hit the lotto, I'm going downtown, calmly. Uh, I might even catch the bus just to make sure people think I'm even broken than I am. <laughs> um, not saying to catch the bus broke because You live in Philly, riding a train, all that stuff. That's, that's just a better that's, that's, no- that's a very
1: normal lifestyle. It, it, it's more yeah, cost effective yeah, yeah. than owning
0: a car. <laughs> but I'm saying for the people that are over the top, freaking judgmental, um, you know, people that... Are poor because they work really hard to impress the people that don't like them and that they don't like at the same time. Are um, driving these big cars, just putting them in debt. So that's I, why I, I, I said that. But I will go down there, change yeah. my name, and then right after they print my name in that paper, I change my name right on back. You're already, get you're in already, my
1: face. No, nah, you know you know what you do. You you don't actually. You're not the one who goes down there in person. You hire someone to go down there and pick it up for you. That's what the people do. You don't go, because then an employee can hit you over the head. Then what? For what? I'm not talking about
0: money. I'm saying I'm going down there to change my name. I'm legally changing my name. Well, you said
1: you're going to pick up the lottery ticket, right? The winning ticket. Oh, no, no, no. I got the
0: lottery ticket. That thing will sit on the shelf until my name changes when you want to put me in the paper. And then once my name changes and you put that in the paper, then I go back to my normal name. So don't nobody
1: know or able to document no, what you, do, what, you, what you do is you just have an organization do it for you. You have an organization pick it up for you. Okay.
0: Yeah. Everybody got their own plan. I, I see you got yours. So I ain't hating on it. Um, let's uh, hit this one part, though,
1: which is what's the best part about what you do? Man, look, <laughs> the best part about what I do doesn't even exist anymore because COVID ruined it. The best part about what I do, you know me, 100% the travel. Absolutely. I was on a plane at least twice a week in this role. Twice a week. I was somewhere. And then COVID happened. I haven't, Man, I haven't flown for work. My last flight for work was when I was in um, New Orleans the day after Mardi Gras. That was it. I got there late. I know. i, I was about to say, late. why didn't
0: you get there a day early? I got. I get excited.
1: Like, wait, he said day after. You, I, got you I, I got there late. I got there late. I missed it. But I was, I was there when, like, for the cleanup crew. So I saw the cleanup. <laughs> you saw the people have fun. Yeah, I saw. I saw everybody when they were hungover. Yeah. <laughs> and just, hey, hey, shut up! You talking You talk. You talking too loud. If somebody yeah. turn the sun down, I
0: need that brightness. To, to go. Yeah, that, that's when I got there. I was, I, was, I was like, "Yeah, I'm ready to be here." Oh man! But okay, since you brought that up, uh, are you going to be able once since since Pfizer? Hey, let's get some inside info. You think you think this this
1: this vaccine really about to happen? First off, you, I actually I haven't looked at the clinical data, so I can't really give you anything to be honest. It is their uh, press release. Since, their press release said 90 percent efficacious, which is obviously mm-hmm. a good number, but. There's a lot more that goes into that than just what the headline says, so I gotta actually like look at their data. At the very least, look at an abstract and see like, okay, this is the move. But the stock price already went up, so you missed out on that. Yeah, well, we're gonna see how this whole thing ages
0: because we ain't really get a lot of info. And it is uh, technically it is November 12th right now. And by the time this thing gets released, it probably w- we'll see what happens. Um, it, but if you're watching this, it probably ain't even November. Um, but with that, uh, staying in that conversation of COVID affecting your job and travel, do you think that you're still going to be able to travel as much as you did once COVID ends or are people going to be like, well, we've been doing these, these Zoom calls. Why do I need to spend all this money on him traveling to all these states
1: when he was able to pull off his job without doing all of that before during COVID? So that's a lot of our concerns actually now. We know that a lot of the conferences, especially Mm -hmm. these little regional conferences where they weren't really making that much money anyway, those are probably going to all go virtual. But these big conferences where it's like, oh, we got like 20,000, 30,000 doctors there, those will will come back as soon as they can. So yes and no. Like There will be slight changes, but because my territory is so large, everything from North Dakota down to Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. I'll still be able to do that as long as doctors are willing to see outside personnel other than patients. Okay. Okay. So give us, if you
0: don't mind a quick rundown of what a day and what a week may look like for you.
1: Pre or post pre or intra COVID. Well, hopefully by the time this thing airs, it'll be post COVID. So let's say pre COVID. All right. Pre or pre-COVID, all or right, Here's what a typical day would be like. Wake up, depending what time my flight is. I wake up, give myself time to get to through TSA. Um, go through the so pack my bag, go to the airport, check in the hotel, well, rent a car if necessary, go to the hotel. Um change if necessary then go to my first meeting with a doctor and that meeting may be anywhere from in the doctor's office on the floor with the patients like outside of a patient's room or even even something as ridiculous as meeting a doctor at a bar but yeah. That's, that's, that's very normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's,
0: that, that, that's not, that's not abnormal. I mean, that's just engagement, building rapport, building relationships, being comfortable and having a real conversation. That's how a lot of yeah, business is done. That's not
1: abnormal at ig- all. Ig- ig- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of my favorite meetings I had was with the doctor in Miami, Florida. She's from, um, Peru. And so the majority of the meeting, she was helping me practice my Spanish as we just kept buying bottles of wine. And that was According to my job, that was a very successful meeting for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas all I do is learn my Spanish, you know what I'm saying? And like, drink some good wines. Yeah, I mean, and and the the thing is that people have to know is, is
0: when doing business with people, when all things are fair, people work with people that they like. And all things unfair people still work with people that they like so at the end of Mm -hmm. the day uh, i mean yeah you want them to be completely fair and i shouldn't have to have a personality but chances are if i gotta choose between people two people are equal except one has a personality that i actually enjoy working with why would i not choose this person as the person to work with so when i call them i'm not dreading the call
1: and that's exactly what my preceptor said. He's like, you have something different. You would be able to excel in this career path. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what got it. He knew I had the. He knew I knew the clinical data. I'm, I'm in rotations with these other pharmacy students with me. He obviously knows. Like, okay, he he's been through pharmacy school. He he knows that he knows the drugs. He knows the science behind them. But can he articulate that to a patient well? And can he also articulate that to a doctor well? To the point where they're not bleeding from the ears, and I think that's where uh, that's what that preceptor, Doctor Plogstead saw. Yeah. I, if I'm honest with you, man, and this is a
0: genuine statement, I genuinely didn't know how fun your job sounds, and I'm I'm highly jealous, and I just sit there and think, like, man, I still wouldn't want to take those classes.
1: <laughs> I mean.
0: I'm not I, gonna I, lie. Honestly, and I'm like, I feel you. Yeah. I, no, I, that's I why you make you the big
1: bucks. That's why you make I, I the big bucks. I feel you on that. <laughs> uh, big. So big bucks is actually something that's subjective, also, because if you, you're know, yeah, I, I, I no, 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 no. I work for a drug company, man. I, I know people. Spe- I know people that I can text right now on my personal phone, and they're easily making like a few million dollars. A year. Oh, that's all. Just a few. You, you said few, like it was like yeah. Go buy yourself some chips. Like, well, I said, well, I said the person that I can text. I know people making like like fifteen, twenty million, but I don't really have them on like a personal level where I can text them and say, let's grab a drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should develop that though. I, I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm working on <laughs> <steps. laughs>
0: it.
1: I, I, I fly out if you if you need
0: somebody if you need a wingman to uh, come in and, and have those yeah. conversations and help. <laughs> Develop that relationship with him or her. Uh, de- de- just let me know. I'm willing to fly in to build that relationship and make it. We, sure we, that... we can
1: set some. We can set something up for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. All right. All right. Well, uh, is there anything in particular that you think that people need to know about pharmacy, the industry, your job that they may not uh, know?
1: Uh. Biggest thing I can say is. Don't put yourself in a box. Keep your options open. Because had I went into pharmacy school, in fact, I I went into pharmacy school thinking, I'm going to do retail. Simple as that, cut and dry. Now it's just a matter of choosing which company I want to work for. Is it going to be CVS? Is it going to be Walgreens? Uh, I was in my last year of pharmacy school, and I thought, oh, well, Target Pharmacy doesn't sound that bad. Let me work for Target. And now here I am. Mm -hmm. Don't put yourself in a box. Be open to the changes that life will throw at you. I've had to move around a lot. You know, I've lived in Cincinnati, of course. I lived in New Jersey. I've lived in Charlotte, lived in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia twice now, you know? So just be open to opportunities. Yeah. So I want to also have you, uh, for the audience,
0: explain the importance of your job, especially in this world where, uh, and we laugh cause you, 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 even said it and I've actually been trying to avoid saying the sentence out loud or the phrase big pharma is it, it, always looked at negatively. You have people who are doing more CBD options or, uh, this, um, medical marijuana in order to try to heal and take care of certain ailments that they have. But still regardless of what they say about big pharma, there's a significant value that a pharmacist brings and that your job brings, and I just want you to share with people, as everyone's looking—not um, not to say everyone, but people are constantly looking for alternatives to medication.
1: I'll say this, and this is just going to be a, a blanket statement that I more or less use as a rebuttal for when um people talk about like, oh, Randy, you're working for, or like you joined the dark side, things like that. Everybody hates pharma until their loved one needs medication until their loved one's sick. Now, all of a sudden all that stuff goes out the window. Mm -hmm. And so I can leave it just, I can leave it at that. Um, But to elaborate a little further is basically um, my specific role is valuable to the patient population in ways that's more unique than just being in a like in a, in a retail pharmacy, like a CVS or Walgreens, is the fact that when you're at CVS or Walgreens, you only impact one patient at a time. You can only interact with one patient at a time. Whereas in my role, I am actually educating the doctors on the therapies and not just our drugs. That's not my. I'm not a sales rep. I don't get paid on commission. I talk about changes in therapies overall, trend changes, and get their thoughts like, hey, We're thinking about creating a medication like this. Or I've noticed like the new guidelines say things like this. What are your thoughts? Oh, I didn't know that, Randy. Now I can treat my patients based off of what you've educated me on. And now who knows how many patients that one doctor has? Maybe hundreds. You never know, right? So that's how Mm -hmm. you can make an impact more so globally. I've been in situations where I'm actually hanging out with patients literally patients themselves and my previous job um where i was working um in medical information outside of philadelphia they flew me out to phoenix for a conference and i was playing baseball with a bunch of kids who had hemophilia and like just to be able to do something like that and show them like hey you're able to play sports you're normal like any other kid you're able to have fun and me to be at the the forefront of that they'll remember that for the rest of their lives as will I, you know, their parents will. And I think that that's what makes the job rewarding in that regard. That's what makes it unique in that, in that sense. Wow. Okay. Um,
0: I definitely appreciate your time, man. If you got, you got anything you want to leave, leave anybody with, if if you didn't already give uh, some of your jewels.
1: Um, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. Uh, blue five. Go Eagles. Um,
0: yeah, it's pretty much all I got. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, as you all know, the importance of what we're doing is trying to make sure people know that when Monday comes, you do not have to dread it. You can wake up and be happy. In fact, Saturday can come and you can be frustrated that you, it's not Monday yet. So much so that you decide to do your job because you enjoy it that much. Not saying that that's exactly what Randy is doing, but in general, I mean, people enjoy their jobs and you've heard the passion that he spoke with about what he does. And if you figure out the different opportunities that are out there, you can explore and find something that will lead you down the path of a life that you will enjoy. 40 hours of a work week or 60 hours of a work week is not 60 or 40 hours of a work week. It's 40 or 60 hours of your actual life. So find a reason to actually enjoy it and also recognize that you don't have to be rich, which is not a number. You can have a job like Randy's that has a range of a salary that can allow you to live a life that other people, because they always said the vague word of rich, would consider rich and live a life that you enjoy, not just going to work, but outside of work too, because you can do more with your time and with your finances because it goes significantly longer than if you chose not to figure out what you're going to do with your life and just taking on a job that unfortunately uh, allowed you to continue to be walking into dead ends. So like that, um, he already mentioned the blue fox. So as I say when I have my special guest on, I'm going to give him a salute in a, in a way that only I can personally give to him and other peers of mine can give to him, which is a uh, Goma. Go mob. Go mob. All right bro oh